Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Marianne Wolf. This week, we hear from superintendents across the state about the biggest challenges and opportunities that our schools and students face this year. It is my pleasure to welcome to the show, Dr. Anthony Jackson, Superintendent of Chatham County Schools, Dr. Jeff McDerris, Superintendent of Transylvania County Schools, and Dr. Issa Cox, the Superintendent of Ashe County Schools. Thank you all so much for being here today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Dr. Jackson, you took a new role as Superintendent of Chatham County Schools um, recently, and I'd love to hear what you're experiencing and the biggest challenges you are already seeing or anticipate. I would say very clearly that um, changing uh, roles in the or locations in the middle of a pandemic is probably uh, not one that I'm going to recommend to a lot of people. I think you 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 meet challenges, but you you're also trying to level set and build trust capacity in the middle in the midst of a period of time where where maybe that's not at the top of the list. But I'm going to say having this being my I believe 13th year as a superintendent, there's some things that are are, are definitely uh, different. Uh, whether I had remained in my uh, previous role or coming to this role, um, but in in fact, um, what what I, I have promised our community, or at least tried to put up uh, front, is that we can't uh, control the pandemic. So the only thing I can control is giving you the routines uh, that we. Uh, uh, typically would want our kids to have. And that routine is trying to stay in school every day often um, and trying to get us back to some level of regularity. I'm never gonna use the word normal again. I'm gonna say regularity and routine. And that means that sometimes we have to focus in on giving our kids those things that made school important and, 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 and memorable for us. And those are the rituals and the rites of passage that we uh, have experienced. So we've tried very hard to make sure that our children are not missing those uh, just staples that we all look back on now. I was so pleased this last weekend to see our high schools have homecomings and know that we were able to keep kids in school and keep the schedule such that they could experience that. And then making sure that relationships are intact. I don't care where you are, whether it's a pandemic, not a pandemic, relationships are going to be key uh, because good relationships will help us endure and and, and, and uh, exercise and, and experience the, re the resilience that we need to, to make sure that we get there. But ultimately, at the end of the day, we want to see results. And those results are not always academic. For me, I want to make sure that at the end of this year, one of the key indicators that I'm really hoping to see is that our kids are okay. Uh, that they are okay emotionally, that they're okay physically, that they're okay mentally. And we've got to do that so that I know that if those three are intact, we can look for some progress uh, for them academically. I guess if I had to pick the similarity for past years, uh, we started school in August. And that may be where the similarities end. After that, it's, it's very different. Uh, instruction has changed. Uh, you know, instruction needed to change but uh, it has been a dramatic uh, upheaval in the way we approach instruction. It's given us opportunities to improve some things, but it's also presented many challenges. Uh, but students and staff are struggling. You know, we, we, in large part, we've been nonstop since March of 2020. Uh, we're battling issues of facts versus perceptions. But the biggest thing about that is, regardless of perception, 
there are certain rules that when we follow those rules, we're able to keep more students in school. And that's very important for us. Um, it's important for our extracurricular activities because many students look forward to that as something that, you know, uh, sparks some excitement in them. And they've had a tough couple of years. You know, learning did not um, go away. We, we, didn't, we didn't retreat. It's just that it has been delayed and it looks very different. Um, so we have to remember in terms of student and staff health, we had a mental health crisis in our state before the pandemic. This has exacerbated that. And so we're trying to work uh, on those aspects as well. And so much has become political, but in the middle of all of that, in the middle of the storm, we're still trying to focus on teaching and learning because we know that that's what's going to pull us out of this. Would any of you like to talk about any specific steps or changes you've had to make or you've chosen to make to address your students' academic, social, and emotional needs? I'll, I'll jump in and mention that, you know, we, we have, uh, we've been leveraging some of our ESSER funding, uh, federal funding, to uh, address some additional counseling services for our students. We, we actually are, are reinstituting uh, sort of an old philosophy. Many of us might remember years and years ago, schools had a homeroom, and uh, we sort of went away from that, uh, worried about, you know, academic time. We, we have instituted a, um, a similar type situation. It's not exactly the same, but relationships are mattering even more now. We've increased our home visits. We involve our SROs many times to, to go out to homes when students are not uh, showing up. Uh, we want to check on them, their well-being, and certainly we're using some of our technology tools and students are responding with, with tips. You know, they're concerned about a classmate. Uh, they can submit this anonymously because all of these things are important as we try to get everyone through this. And um, we've even instituted, of course, um, you know, additional online and in-person opportunities with our schooling because for some students, the, the online experience is a better experience for them, but we don't want to lose touch with them as we reach out. Some of the same things that we have been doing within um, our school district as well, the social emotional health of our children is really important. And at the times when we were fully closed, uh, which we did have to close uh, last year for a couple of weeks uh, due to lack of staffing and the increased numbers of COVID, um, we saw an increase in our gaggle alerts with our children. And so we want to make sure that we are continually in tune with our children, uh, know what their needs are, and making sure that we're providing the support and services that uh, they need. Our cafeteria staff was really important in that in helping to get out um, food and boxes of food to children. We've increased this year the number of students that we are serving. We were serving um, our students who were all online. Things like that are really important. It's not just about teaching and learning uh, within the school. It's about uh, making sure that students' needs are met. We, too, invested. Um, we have a nurse at every school. Um, we are making sure that we are um, 
uh, thinking outside of the box uh, to meet those student needs. So we have a lead student in a, or lead innovator of student success at our high school that's helping students think through what's next for them and find innovative ways for them to get there. We have a um, bulldog clinic at our middle school that's been going ongoing for years um, that pr to provide mental health services for our children. Uh, we expanded um, that opportunity and added a, a school nurse in addition to the nurse that serves the mental health of our students there so that we would have one at each one of, uh, each one of our schools. So those things are really important when it comes to um, how we've been able to think about what we're doing and meet the ongoing and growing needs of our children. Dr. Jackson, not only are you superintendent of Chatham, but you also um, are the president, I believe, of the Superintendents Association. And so you're thinking about this a great deal I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the vacancies we are seeing and what are some different things that we might be able to do as communities in the state in order to help fill those because they're really important for kids. It's a troubling pattern that we are seeing in front of us. Um, and when we, we polled uh, all 115 districts and approximately 100 or so responded, we documented at that time around, around September 8th, well over 4,000 vacancies in this state uh, in the school sector. So I, I think, first of all, I think there's a, a message in the message. Uh, and the first thing I think we have to remember is uh, that uh, COVID exacerbated the economic conditions for a lot of communities. Uh, and while there was support, people fell behind. So economically, people have to find uh, a way to recover financially as well. We're talking about all the other recovery uh, lanes that are out there. And so a livable wage is, is important. And so I'm hoping that through the budget process and through some other uh, means that we can begin to look at what we're paying uh, people. In the school sector, 80% of our budgets go to people, uh, which means we need resources to make this happen. Um, and so I'm pleased to see a lot of our school districts uh, exercise what uh, this recognition strategy and um, recruitment strategies in terms of using those ESSERS funds. But remember, those are one-time infusions. And so when you have dollars with a deadline, you can only make you know, short-term investments. We've got to have a long-term strategy. That long-term strategy has to be inclusive of rethinking how we approach human capital. And I think in the school sector, we're going to have to think very, very differently. It's very right now. I can. I, it's very difficult to find uh, instructional assistants and bus drivers and child nutrition. Uh, and these people are the oil in the engine. Uh, we can't function without them, and we know that. So we're going to have to really, really build, uh, I think, an entrepreneurial spirit in the public sector uh, around human capital and figuring out ways to attract them, and not only ways to attract, but ways to keep the ones that we have. And so I'm excited to see some of the, the innovations that are happening out there around this space, and hopefully we'll have the courage to, to try new things and to rethink this whole notion of how we get good people in front of our kids every single day, from the minute they get on a bus to the minute they get back home. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Town Bank, serving others, enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. We know as a state, we actually have done a really good job of having a strong fiscal picture. We have 
Some estimates are 6.5 billion, but more recently, $8 billion surplus in our funding in order you know, for our state. And so I think that's a huge compliment that we're in that position, but also we know that the things that each of you lay out really are investments, right? They're investments in the future. We do hear a lot about the federal funding that we have received as a state and as school districts. And yet I know that that federal funding has been needed and a good amount has already been spent. And I just wonder if any of you wanna comment on that in that sometimes that's what we hear about as though there's all this federal funding, but in, I don't think that's replaced the need for a very significant investment in our, from our state as well. We have to look at sustainability. We need a long-term plan and this money is out in a couple of years. So yes, it's very helpful. It's helping us to mitigate the gaps. It's really helping us to put to good use um, uh, some uh, get some extras, if you will. Uh, we don't have necessarily the people to hire all the extras that we need in order to um, move forward. Um, we've got to think about this as a long-term strategy. And when it ends, um, we can't say, oh, well, um, <laughs> you know, our children don't matter anymore. Whatever we started that we thought was so great um, within our local community suddenly has to go. Um, so that's why as a state, we must um, take a look at how we invest in our education. And yes, it's for every child, uh, regardless of zip code um, across our state. And, you know, we're in the mountains, we have very different needs than um, what uh, the East Coast might have, or even uh, downtown Raleigh. Um, we have very different needs, um, but our kids have needs uh, just like the kids in other school districts. And that flexibility to utilize the funding that we do get um, to be able to meet the specific needs of our communities is really, really needed. And so I would hate to see just like some of the federal funding it in a bucket, and then you have a little bit left over that you need in another bucket, but you can't move it to that other bucket because of the rules that surround it. So um, it's hard to explain to people who don't work with those budgets every single day, um, but we would like the flexibility so that we could utilize the funds to meet the needs of our kids. I would just like to make sure that we, we, we have those types of conversations that uh, Dr. Cox is mentioning. You want to avoid the, the pitfalls of plausible deniability. And what I mean by that is, you know, the perception that you receive all these monies, but they're short term and the perception that, well, you, you had these monies to address these things. Well, they're not long term. And there were other needs before this came about. These are targeted monies and there are still underlying needs that are yet to be addressed. And so you, you want to avoid that plausible deniability aspect of, well, you know, you had this money, but you could have used it for this or that. We just, it's, it's part of a careful, strategic conversation. Uh, you know, we want to get back to the business of meeting our strategic plans, not only for our systems, but for our state. And this would be an important part of that. My, my colleagues are, are they, they hit it right on the head. And I, I would just ask people to, to understand the difference between infusion and inheritance. 
in, in, we, we are experiencing an infusion of resources right now. And those resources are, they are dollars with deadlines. They're gonna go away. We're not getting an inheritance that we can plan out and know that we're, we're gonna have. So we're gonna have to try to find a, a middle ground and, and try to ensure that with the infusion, at the end of the day, there's impact. And so I, I want us to understand, I can hold you accountable for changing your, your, your life's direction with an inheritance. Uh, I can only have you change for a short period of time with an infusion. And so I think we've got to decide what's, what's important for our children right now. Do we want to infuse cash and have them, uh, because all we're doing is financing uh, a, a, a period of time that we all agree we're only tolerating the pandemic. And so at the end of all of this, what resources will we have on the other side of this hill or on the other uh, uh, side of this to really sustain any of the innovation that we know will work for our kids? And that's what I'm concerned about. And that's what I would hope uh, people would understand. These dollars, they have very clear deadlines. They're going to go away whether we spend them or not, whether we spend them on the things that we need to or not. We, they're not inherited dollars that we can put in the bank and use once we get back to quote normal. I wonder what advice each of you is as committed educators have for our families as they try to support their own students? Yeah, I, I would just say to parents that we are here for you and with you. Uh, and that uh, I will speak for Chatham County Schools that grace has no shelf life. We're gonna continue to extend grace and help our kids every single day be the best that they can be. We're gonna own those things that we uh, do best we're going to continue to partner with you to make sure that at the end of the day, your child can look back, even during a pandemic, and say, my school experience was one that I was proud of and that the adults took care of me. Whatever that means, we're willing to do. We are here as partners. We want to build those relationships because it's not just the education of, of our children, but it's the future of, of our, our economy, the future of our community, the future of our state. And, and I would dare say, certainly our nation, you know, just remember that there's three things that, that we are really committed to, and we need you in partnership to help us help you. One is, you know, remembering what we're here for, and that is to make sure your students are safe. That is our number one priority. We have to make sure that people are safe and that we keep them in school. The second thing would be that, you know, we, we're here to love on your students, to make them feel valued and that they're respected and that we care for them. If you take care of the first two, then you can get to that third one and that is to educate them. And that is really the third one in the pecking order because really we want, we want them to have the very best education, but we've got to take care of the first two and we look forward to working with you in partnership to achieve that. As a mom and an educator and as a superintendent of schools, um, we're in this together. Um, we're you know, seeing personally some of the same challenges that um, families are seeing. We're in this together. None of us created this pandemic. We're just trying to navigate what has been given to us. Um, all of us want children in school. All of us want children to be safe. And I think that if we can rally around getting children in school and being safe and then uh, making sure that they have the best quality education possible, together we can do this. I want to thank our teachers for just going the extra mile for answering those bells that we don't hear, uh, for wiping those eyes and tears that we don't see. 
and just uh, being who they are. We appreciate them. Uh, and we are, as a system, uh, indebted to them for staying the course and making sure that every single day our kids walk into school and walk out of school safely and, and they're able to go home and say, I'm okay. As a former teacher, and I think we're always uh, teachers and things that we do, um, I appreciate our teachers. Um, until you're in the classroom with children every day, it's hard to imagine um, the things that they do in order that impact children's lives, uh, the decisions that they make on a daily basis, um, the things that they see and hear. But I've worked with a lot of great educators who uh, deserve an extra pat on the back and uh, you know, deserve to be celebrated. Um, they celebrate our children every day and um, that's a gift. And so uh, thank you, teachers. We appreciate you. Here's someone out there that's looking for the type of job where every day you're going to go home, you're going to be exhausted, but you're going to be fulfilled. Every day that you're, you're going to go home and, and know that you made a difference in someone's life in a positive direction, then that's a great recruitment poster. And that's what our teachers and principals are doing every day. Well, thank you so much to each of you for what you do for the heart you bring, but also all the expertise and experience and forgiving of yourselves every single day. And so we're so grateful to have you as leaders in our state. Our school superintendents lead schools with a deep understanding and focus on what our kids need to be successful in school and in life beyond the classroom. And today we heard from three of our wonderful superintendents who shared what they know to be critical elements that North Carolina must provide in order to ensure our children have a sound basic education across our great state. Investing in the recruitment and retention of high quality, well-prepared educators, which are in short supply right now, tops that list. Our districts are seeing unprecedented vacancies in their school buildings, including for teachers. The answer is twofold. We must become more flexible and creative when it comes to hiring for these roles, and we must invest in these positions at much greater levels in order to attract and retain the talent that we and our children need in order to be successful. We must also invest in the social and emotional learning for our students, which includes access to school support personnel, such as counselors, social workers, and psychologists. And our children need safe learning environments where not only are the school buildings repaired and renovated to meet today's health and safety needs, but also we need strong communities who hold each other's personal well-being in the highest regard and work together in that, to that end. Too often today, I hear that local school board meetings are filled with tensions and threats to personal safety that are unprecedented and unacceptable. We must come together as a community to support one another, not launch personal attacks as a means to achieve our own individual goals. We must all do better for the sake of our children. We are greater together. The way forward for all of us has been made clear. We must invest in our schools in much more significant ways right now. As we've been highlighting repeatedly on Ed Matters, it has been more than 25 years since the beginning of North Carolina's school funding court case known as Leandro. Since then, it has been found repeatedly that our state has not been providing the resources our public or public policies required to meet the fundamental needs of all of our students. We know that every child needs a high quality and well-prepared educator in their classroom and principal in their school. We know that early childhood education and post-secondary attainment are essential. We know that student support personnel such as counselors and social workers make a difference for kids 
And North Carolina is ready. We have approximately $8 billion in surplus revenues here in North Carolina. We have significant needs in our schools. The time is now to make these significant investments in our public schools if we hope to ensure our children will be able to thrive and compete in a global economy. This impacts us all, our communities, our workforce, and our economy. We have a clear roadmap that identifies just how we can make targeted investments in our classrooms, in our teacher pipeline, and in our school funding systems so that we can finally meet our constitutional obligation to equitably provide each and every child a sound basic education here in our state. We are standing at a crossroads right now as a court order date is almost upon us to fund these targeted investments as laid out in the Leandro Action Plan. We have the resources. The time is now and it's up to each of us to demand from our leaders that we invest in our public schools. Let's go, North Carolina. Thank you for taking time with us to learn and think about education. That's all for today and we'll see you next week.